Thank you so very much, Phil. You may be seated. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is everybody awake? Does anybody in here love Jesus? All right, y'all getting awake. That's good. That's good. Turn that person beside you and say, I'm glad I don't look like you. All right, now we feel better about ourselves. All right, that's good. You heard, uh, you heard about the couple who've been married for 60 years, Dr. Goodrow? They were married 60 years. They came to church, had a big fellowship for them. And so after service, they went downstairs to the fellowship. And somebody asked the, the husband, said, what's the secret? 60 years, what's the secret to your success? And the husband said, said well, man, said, uh, I've loved my wife. I respect her. Uh, in fact, I, I take her on trips. I've taken her all over the world. He says, as a matter of fact, for our 25th wedding anniversary... I took her to Beijing, China. Man, they absolutely loved that. The church started clapping and just saying, woo, woo. Can you believe it? Took her to Beijing, China. And somebody in the back said, what would you do for your 50th? He said, I went and picked her up. <laughs> okay. Everybody's awake now. Say amen right there. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. i got two things I want to tell you today. About this text, unfortunately, I'm only going to make it to point number one. Uh, so that's why I want to invite you to be back tonight. Tonight, I'll be finishing up the second part of this, uh, of this sermon and uh, give you uh, point number two. So I'm only going to give you one point today, simply because we need just a little bit of review here as to what Paul is talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. If you found your place there, I want you to hold your place in chapter 10, and I want you to go all the way back to chapter number 8. Go back to chapter 8. So from chapter 8, verse 1, all the way to chapter 11, verse 1, this is what's called a parochopy. It, it's, it is one big, long section, paragraph. And when we left, we actually finished um, up 1 Corinthians and took a break. Uh, just before Thanksgiving on 1023 is uh, the last message we uh, preach from this book. So it's been a couple of months now. So we're getting back in it. And I want to just remind you where we're at. In this section, Paul is still dealing with uh, Christian liberty, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, he actually started this over in chapter 8, verse 1. Just look real quick at it, uh, if you will. He says, now... As touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have knowledge. We know that uh, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifieth. Or you use the word charity. It means love edifieth. Cast your eye down to verse number 4. Look what he says here. He says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. So pa Paul here is answering the question, can we as Christians eat meat that's been sacrificed or offered to idols? And he starts his answer in chapter 8, verse 1, and he finishes his answer in chapter 11, verse 1. Now the question is, why? Is it taking you so long to answer this question? I mean, three chapters on this issue. Paul always loved to talk about Christian liberty. That's one of his favorite things. Every time you read a letter from Paul, 
he always talks about the liberty that, he, that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, when you have liberty in Christ, one of the biggest dangers is that you abuse that liberty. And so Paul felt it necessary to communicate with the church at Corinth as well as you and I today in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul's communicating to us that we should never abuse our spiritual freedom. We shouldn't abuse our Christian liberty. So when we come to chapter 10... In verse number 14, he's got a couple of more things he wants to say about this. But before he does, he, notice he uses the word wherefore. You see that word in verse 14? Wherefore? I'd underline that word if you're taking notes. Underline that word wherefore because any time when you read the word of God and you see the word wherefore or the word therefore, you should always ask yourself the question, what is the wherefore therefore? What is the wherefore, therefore? Because it's there for a reason. And the reason why this wherefore is here is Paul is calling our attention back to chapter 8, verse 1, and he's wanting to say everything that I've said up until this point is all coming together now. And I'm coming to a conclusion on what I want to say about our Christian liberty. In particular, as Christians, can we eat meat that was offered to idols? So it takes Paul three chapters to answer this question. And the reason why it takes him three chapters is, again, because really the answer depends. It depends on your spiritual growth. It depended on the Corinthian spiritual growth. And it also depends upon our Christian liberty. Remember, Corinth was the Las Vegas of Bible times. I mean, it was absolutely hedonistic. It was a lot like the United States today. I mean, hedonism was the philosophy of the day. If it feels good, do it. Humanism was another philosophy that was running rampant in the streets. There were all kinds of humanistic temples that you could go into and worship. And right smack in the middle of Corinth, there was a meat market. Right across the street from the meat market, archaeologists have found this to be true, Right across the street from the meat market, there was a temple. It was a temple to a false god. And they would offer sacrifices uh, at that temple. Now, the requirements to offer a sacrifice for even the false religions, as well as before the one true God, was always to bring that false god, that god little g, your best. You'd bring the best animal there to be sacrificed. And so what they would do was those priests of that false temple, that false god, would take that sacrifice, make that sacrifice on the altar, and then they would have a little bit of meat, the priest would. The priest would receive meat as payment uh, for uh, what they have participated in. They would give a little bit of meat to the uh, person that offered the sacrifice, that was their meat to take home, and they could eat that meat that had been blessed by that false god. And then what they would do, they would take so much, there was so much meat left over, they'd take it across the street to the meat market, and they would put it in the meat market, and it was discounted, and it was the best meat in town, because everybody's bringing their best sacrifices. And so the Christians are like, man, you know what, that's a pretty good deal. I, I really want that, that beef. It's good. It's good quality stuff. And remember, Paul says, well, it doesn't matter. They, they, the false god's really not a god. It really doesn't matter, so uh, you can use your liberty. As a matter of fact, when you study chapter 8, Paul really says two things about answering this question. 
The first thing Paul says in chapter 8 is he says, you need to use your freedom for your enjoyment. Use your freedom for your enjoyment. If you're mature enough in Jesus Christ, and you know that there is no other God but one God, the Lord God Almighty, His Son Jesus Christ, who died on Calvary's cross, was buried, rose again the third day, you clearly understand that that false God is not real. It is just a material object. They're worshiping a false God. You clearly understand that. You know there is no other God but God alone. And you go into that meat market on Tuesday, you buy that meat and just enjoy the hound dog out of it. I mean, make fajitas and steaks and all kind of stuff. Just enjoy it. It's what Paul says. Enjoy the freedom. But, he says, he comes back in chapter 8 and he says, you need to limit your freedom if it hinders somebody's spiritual growth. So what Paul's saying there is simply this. You go to that meat market on Tuesday, but on Sunday at church, one of those heathens that were worshiping in that temple came to the service. They got saved. And they're a brand new Christian, not even 24 hours old. And they come into that same meat market, and they see you buying that meat that was offered in that sacrifice just two weeks ago or just the last time they offered sacrifice they are not fully mature in their faith. They are still getting the fundamentals. They're still on the milk of the Word of God. He says, limit your freedom if it hinders somebody else's spiritual growth. Don't buy the meat then. Don't go on Tuesday. Go on Friday. <laughs> don't, just, don't hinder that young babe's spiritual growth. Does that make sense? Say amen right there. Okay, so that's chapter 8. He comes back in chapter 9, and he takes it a step further. In chapter 9, Paul says that you need to limit your freedoms if it hinders the gospel. Limit your freedom in Christ if it hinders the gospel. He's thinking about referring to the fact, if meat makes my brother stumble, then I'm not going to eat meat. He's referring to the fact that if he's got somebody that he's even trying to win to Christ... He's not going to eat the meat that's sacrificed to the idols because he does not want them, if you will, to disassociate themselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's limiting, if you would, the freedom that he has in Christ if it hinders the gospel. But then in chapter 9, he comes back and he says this, but you need to use your freedom if it advances the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you buy that meat from the meat market, and that individual says, hey, I thought you were a born-again child of God, and that he's receptive to the Word of God, share the gospel with him. If he's receptive, then don't pick a fight, don't be upset, don't be... Then just share the gospel with him and see what the Lord's going to do. Use your freedom if it advances the gospel. Limit your freedom if it hinders the gospel. It's all about our Christian freedom. You see, when Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross and rose again, he fulfilled the law of God. He was the perfect sacrifice and satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God. And Jesus set us free. He set us free from the law as he fulfilled the law. And what was happening here in, in uh, the church at Corinth is you had these Judaizers that were coming to Jesus Christ, and they were thinking about Jesus before he died on Calvary's cross, and they had a major problem. They said, we can't eat this meat. 
We can't eat it. And they were making rules and regulations. Instead of growing up in Jesus, do you realize that before Jesus came to this earth, before he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross and rose again, before Christ, if you were a God follower, you had a lot of rules and a lot of regulations you had to follow. For example, if you were an Old Testament God follower, you couldn't eat bacon. How's that hit you today? Not good. Not good. But if, it was true. If you were an Old Testament follower of God, you couldn't eat bacon. How about this one? If you were an Old Testament follower of God, you, you couldn't eat shrimp. Yet low country bowl, you can forget it. That jambalaya down there at the, uh, uh, down at the um, uh, Cracker Barrel, you can't eat that. That ain't going to work. You're an Old Testament follower uh, of God. Uh, here's one for you farmers. How about this one? If you were a farmer and you were an Old Testament follower of God, it was a, fa a farmer, then you could not plant your lettuce beside your onions. Couldn't do it. No. You had to take a total different field and plant your onions. You can plant your lettuce here, but you had to plant your onions on the other side. Why? Because there were all these rules and regulations that you had to fulfill. You had to keep the law of God in order to please God. Remember what the law was for to show you that you couldn't fulfill it. You couldn't keep it. You couldn't fulfill it. But when Christ came, he fulfilled all the law. And when we got saved, bless God, he set me free. He set me so free that, bless God, I ate two slices of bacon this morning. So Christian freedom, the freedoms that we have, are to be enjoyed. But let me say this, if I could. The primary reason and the primary purpose for our freedoms is to make more and better disciples. Our freedoms are to make more and better disciples. We have so much freedom today. We're, we were free to come to Maysville Baptist Church today, and I'm glad you did. Uh, you're free to be a member here. You're not told by God. God doesn't say, you, uh, everybody that has the last name P, you gotta be a you got to be a member at the you know, Slippery Rock Baptist Church in Bucktussle, Georgia. I mean, it ain't nothing, none of that. No, you have the freedom in Christ to attend here. I love what Bob said down back in the hallway. He says, man, I love coming here. The Spirit of God's in this place. And that's true. The Spirit of God is here. But the Spirit of God's in other churches too. And I thank God that we have that freedom that if I were to take a vacation, I was to go down to Orange Beach, uh, uh, Alabama, to the Redneck Riviera. Can I get a witness right there? When I get down there, there's other churches that, that the Spirit of God's down there too, believe it or not. So thank God for our freedoms. Our primary purpose in our freedoms is to make more and better disciples. So Paul says, because we're trying to make more and better disciples, through the freedoms that we have in our witness for Jesus Christ, it's vitally important that we are sensitive, we be sensitive to those freedoms that we have in Jesus Christ. Because those freedoms, if we're not careful, if we're not walking with God, those freedoms that we have could pull us into idolatry. And so this is where Paul's at in verses 15 and following. If you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Now, with that context in mind, let's think about this, and I'll have some more things to say here in just a minute. Let's pick it up in verse number 14. Many of you notice I still don't have my glasses. I do have some readers here. Uh, I can't see you, but I can see the text. But I got, listen, I got people watching. Don't you dare stick your tongue out at me. Even though I can't see you, please, I'm begging you. Be sweet to your preacher. Notice what he says. 
Wherefore, we've already dealt with it. My dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar. What say I then? That the idol is of anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. He's already said that. Remember, verse 19, he's going back to, to chapter 8, verse 4. We've already talked about it, but that's what he's saying in verse 19, verse 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship, there's a key word, with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You may be seated this morning. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Take your pens and in verse number 20, underline that word, fellowship. I would not, there's the instruction, I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils what he's saying there in the text and it's vitally important because if you just read it at face value you're walking away going he's contradicting himself first he says it's okay to eat it but now he says don't do it no 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 that's not what he's saying he uses the word fellowship here in the text what he's referring to is the communion of devils as in regard to the lord's table communion He's saying, don't you dare go into a temple worship service while they are sacrificing the animal and get your food that way. You are participating in their worship experience. If I could bring it up into 2019, it would just simply be this. You better be careful what worship service you put your body into. You better clearly understand, do they preach Jesus? Or are they preaching another God? You better be careful with these interfaith, ecumenical type services where we all come together. And it's a universalism because universalism is not biblical. So he says you've got to be careful in this area. You've got to watch out in this area. You've got to make sure that you're not participating in idolatry worship, idol worship. And so Paul is not contradicting himself. No, he's simply saying, you wait till they're not having service, then buy the meat. It's okay, then buy the meat. But make sure you limit your freedom if it hinders the gospel or it hinders somebody else's spiritual growth. He's just simply saying this, be sensitive. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in regards to your Christian freedom and liberty. Idolatry is very real and it really exists today. Today, idolatry, by way of definition, is any false god that we might worship. Idolatry appears, if you would, through an object, which is probably the most common. We think about an object, a false idol. That's what we think about. But also, it can be an idea. Do you know that you could practice idolatry just uh, worshiping or following an idea or a philosophy? 
or a habit or an occupation, a sport, or whatever it is where your primary concern and loyalty or to any degree your trust and freedom that you have in Jesus Christ is pulled off of Christ and onto that particular thing. Idolatry is getting your eyes off the Lord, getting your trust off of Jesus, and putting your trust and your loyalty in anything else. And we do it all the time in 2019. It happens all the time. So what do you mean? Well, let's think about it just for a minute. Let's think about an object. Is there an object in our life in 2019 that if we're not careful, it possesses the potential to decrease our trust and loyalty to the Lord? What? What'd you say? Phone. Right there. She's holding it up. Phone. Now, I've done this in three services, and that's been number one every time, hadn't it been, David? Every time. The phone. The cell phone. The cell phone has a potential, or your smartphone has the potential to be an idol in your life. Because it takes your trust, it takes your attention, it takes your loyalty away from the Lord. You think about this just for a minute. Before smartphones, we had alarm clocks. How many of you remember alarm clocks? All the old people. We had alarm clocks. We set the alarm clock, the alarm clock went off. You'd hit the snooze button. Today, how many of you get up with your phones, your cell phones today? Hold them up real high. Look at this. Way, way, way over half. Use your cell phones to wake up. Now, when that cell phone goes off, you remember this. When we had alarms and the cell phone went off and you finally cut that thing off, bless God, you had to get up. And you had to go get ready. You had to go. I mean, let's, let's go spend time with the Lord. But when the cell phone goes off and you pick it up, a lot of times we say, I've got to see what's going on on Facebook. Does that giggle mean I'm telling the truth? I've got to see what's going on on social media. It's only going to take a minute. And so that minute turns to two minutes. And that two minutes turn to... So instead of hitting the snooze button, what happens? We're looking at Facebook in the mornings before we ever get in bed. And watch this. The best hours of our day when we should have been giving it to God, we've given it to social media. And we've given it to an idol that we've began to start in our hearts and lives. That's an object. Let me give you something else. How about this one? Let's think about ideas. Is there an idea today that can decrease our loyalty towards Jesus Christ and our trust towards Jesus Christ? How about this one? I hear this one all the time as a pastor. I can worship God just as good in the woods, on the lake, at the mall, as I can at church. Okay? That's fine and dandy, but remember what the Bible says. Listen to me. Listen to the preacher now. The Word of God says in the book of Hebrews... Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some do. The Bible says lost people don't come to church. And so he says, don't say that. Don't. And by the way, where in the world are you going to go in the woods where you're going to have choirs sing like our choir sings? Where you got a congregation that's going to sing like our congregation? You're going to have testimony like the Hesters gave. Bless God, I'm telling you, this church has got God all over it. That's an idea. Here's the third one. How about a philosophy? What about philosophies that exist in our day that uh, can decrease our trust and loyalty to the Lord? How about this one? Humanism. 
Humanism is a major philosophy that is prominent in 2019 in the United States. As a matter of fact, we have moved away from a post-Christian society. We're now in a humanistic society, and it has been a brief stint because we are teetering now on, on a hedonism, a hedonistic philosophy. What is hedonism? Hedonism is the simple uh, uh, philosophy that if it feels good, do it. If it feels good do it. No boundaries, no accountability. You're an animal, fulfill those animal instincts. And hedonism ran rampant during this time in the Bible. Hedonism is running rampant in this day and age in which we live. Here's another philosophy that has risen to the top more, more than, than a biblical uh, uh, Christi, a Christian uh, more majority or morality. Political correctness. Bless God, you can't even call short people short anymore. Now they're vertically challenged. You can't. You can't call fat people fat either. They horizontally challenged. I'd never do that. I'd never. I'm just giving an illustration. But political correctness is running the day. Here, here's another one. How about this one? The philosophy that's out there today on feminism. Humanistic feminism. I'll be honest with you. There's no greater, greater feministic philosophy than's found in the Word of God. Jesus set women more free than anything. I got so many things running through my head right now, but I'm going to go to number five. Number four, habits. Habit. Let me go with habits. We don't have to spend much time here. Smoking, drinking, gluttony. I mean, any habit. Vaping, uh, spitting, whatever. I don't, I, any habit can take your attention off the Lord if you allow that to, to move forward. Here's number five, occupations. Uh, you, you, we can sit here. We can pastors too. Pa pastors can worship. Watch this. They can worship ministry more than they can the, the God that created ministry. And they can spend more time in worshiping ministry than worshiping God. That what, happened was, is, it, what happens is this, that their attention gets off of Christ and their loyalty and trust goes towards the church, ministry. Here's one we all can relate to, sports. Sports can become an idol in our life today. Now, let's be honest, many times we're more attracted to the fundamentals of football than we are the faithfulness of God. So let me ask you this. When you think about an object, an idea, philosophy, habit, occupation, sports, what is it? Is there anything? Is there anything there that's an idol in your life? And there might be something that I did not mention. And so here in Paul's case, he's, he's dealing with this philosophy, if you would, of, of eating meat. He's dealing with this, uh, this challenge that the church has presented him. And he says, well, it really depends on your spiritual growth and your spiritual freedom. And as he's coming to the end, he says, wherefore, he's coming to the end. He says, let me tell you some closing remarks that I have for you. And in this section of Scripture, in verses 14 through 22, there are two things that he wants to say. I'm only going to give you the first one today, and then we'll be done. I have just a few more minutes left, and I'm out of time. So here it is. Number one, the first thing I want you to see here in verse number 14 is a charge to flee. Paul gives the church a charge. He charges them. He instructs them to flee. 
In this verse, Paul instructs the Corinthians on how to avoid idolatry. And there's three things that he says here that I want you to take notes and take with you. Take this home with you today. It'll bless you. Number one, the first one is the dearness in the charge. The dearness in the charge. Look at verse 14 again. He says, wherefore, my dearly beloved. Man, I'd underline that word dearly beloved. Remember, if you'll recall back when we started this study, we talked about how wicked Corinth was. And the wickedness of, wickedness of Corinth has just it bled all through the city as it was the Las Vegas of its day. And there was wickedness all around. And God put on Paul's heart, I want a church there. I want a church right there. And so he started that church right there in that area. And people came and got saved. And they're growing up in their faith. But I'm telling you, in certain areas, in different types of cities, when you have a ministry like this, it gets a little messy. Uh, I heard uh, uh, oh, Vance Pittman. You know Vance Pittman? Oh, Vance Pittman started a church in Las Vegas. He came out of uh, First Baptist Woodstock and started, started a church in Las Vegas. And, uh, man, they were coming. They were getting saved. And he tells this story. It's, it, it's funny. He says, now, when you start a church in Las Vegas, it gets really messy really, really quick. And he says he won this guy to Christ, and this guy came to church, and man was so excited, on fire for Jesus, loved Jesus, but God was in the process of changing his language. He gave his heart to Jesus, now he needed to give his tongue to Jesus. And he'd let one slip every now and then, and he said, oh, oh, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. And he's growing up in Jesus. But one day, he wanted to do something special for for the pastor, I mean, he was on like a week old. He, he was a week old Christian. God was really moving in his life. He was so excited. He told Vance Pittman, he said, hey, after service, I got a, a very special offering I want to give to the church. And Vance said, oh, okay. And so after church, he said, uh, he walked up to the fellow. He said, you got to follow me out to my car. It's in my trunk. And Vance said, it's what? He said, it's in my trunk. So Vance followed him out there. The guy got to the truck, and he opened up the truck, and there were two cases of liquor he was giving to the preacher. Vance <laughs> said, no, thank you. You know, and he, kind of, he helped encourage the guy. He said, but that's the kind of sloppy stuff you find. Let, let me share this. Several years ago, I want a fellow to Christ. He was a police officer, and he come to know Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. Man, he was on fire for Jesus, David. I mean, was excited about the Lord. And uh, after service, I was shaking hands. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. And he come beat bopping through. And I had we had been in, we were in debt because we had to build a gym and, and different things. And and he come beat bopping through. He said, "Preacher," he said, "I'm gonna tell you right now. If I hit this right here, you ain't got to worry about the debt." And he opened up his coat pocket and he had a lottery ticket. And like. If I hit that right there, he said, we're going to pay for this church. And uh, I guess I looked like a deer in headlights. I mean, I just was, I, I was one of those things. This is the first time it's ever happened to me. It's like, like that right there. And he goes, oh, and he, he buttoned his coat. He said, I don't guess I was supposed to buy that, was I? <laughs> I said, brother, you already bought it. Bless God, let's see if you win. Huh? <laughs> the devil's kept that money long enough. In fact, let's pray right now. I mean, you know, this it's a true story. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. But here's the thing. P Paul was saying, you're my dearly beloved. I love you. He's saying this. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. I still love you. He's showing the demonstration of God's love for us. God loves us with a John 3.16 kind of love. But God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The dearness of the charge. You're my dearly beloved. Even though ministry in Corinth is sloppy, I still deeply, deeply love you. Our ministry here in Maysville Baptist Church is not as sloppy as it was in Corinth or not as sloppy as it is in Las Vegas. But we do at times have difficult times here at Maysville. We have hard times where people have affairs on their spouses. I wish that didn't happen. I promise you, if you want to safeguard your marriage against that, then you get closer to Jesus. If you'll get closer to Jesus, that'll safeguard against those things. But here I'm telling you today, I deeply, deeply love you. Can I tell you what hurts me the most? Greg, what hurts me the most as a pastor is when I hear about something like that that happens when there's a challenge in a family where husband and wife splits. And an individual would rather go to a life coach than come to his pastor. I'm saying it hurts. Why? Because I know the answer. I know the answer. The answer is the Word of God. Getting closer to Him. The dearness and the charge. Could I say this? I deeply, deeply love you. Number two. Not only do we see the dearness and the charge, we also see the dispatch in the charge. He uses the term flee. You see that there? Flee. F-L-E-E. Here's a present tense imperative verb that's communicating to you and I that we need to be actively departing, actively leaving any idolatrous relationship that we have with a false god. Got to get rid of it. It carries the idea of running away from it. It carries the idea of not having any hesitation. It's whatever God's speaking into your heart, even quite possibly right now where God says, that's an idol in your life. That's an idol. When he was talking about the cell phone, that's an idol in your life. You need, to get, you need to flee from that. You need to get rid of that. When he's talking about philosophy, and he talked about this issue of feminism or hedonism, and that's something that you're tangled up in, and you're playing with that. You're playing with the worldly philosophies of this day, and it's taking your attention off of Jesus Christ. God's put, he says, flee from that. Get rid of that. Run from that. Don't hesitate. Get in the altar and do business with me. The dispatch in the charge. And then number three, and I'm done. And I'll do the rest tonight. The danger in the charge. The danger in the charge. Notice again, verse 14. He says, not only flee, but he says, flee from idolatry. This phrase simply and plainly says that idolatry is dangerous. It's dangerous. There's a danger in this charge. Flee from it. Let's take modern philosophies once again, since we've used that this morning, uh, probably more than any others. When we enter into and participate and entertain the modern philosophies of our day, or anything that would uh, decrease our loyalty and trust in the Lord, it puts us in a dangerous position. And it's dangerous because of three things. Let me give them to you, and I'm going to close. It's dangerous, number one, because it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our flesh. Hedonism appeals to the flesh. Do you know what the outcome of hedonism is? It's in the Bible. You know the Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. And that's true. Take your Bible and just turn back a few pages to Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter 1, we see the outcome of hedonism. Romans chapter 1. Paul writing to the church at Rome, writing to those Romans, those Roman believers says very clearly what the outcome of hedonism is. 
He tells us there in the Word of God in verse number 18. For the wrath of God in chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them for God hath showed it to them. What's he talking about? You can go all the way back to Ecclesiastes when Solomon uh, wrote in Ecclesiastes, God put a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. There's a God-sized space in your heart that nothing can fill but God. And when we think about that, God says he put eternity in there, and you cannot help but think about it. The truth is, even the atheists know down in their heart that the Word of God is true. They're denying it, rejecting it. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Why, why do they die and go to hell? There's no excuse. No excuse. Notice what he says. Because, here's why there's no excuse. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and changed, in changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. That's what hedonism is all about. He goes on to say, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up into their vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is uh, against nature. And likewise, men also, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another. Men with men, working that which is unseemingly and receiving in themselves the recompense of the error that which is me. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then he goes on and on and on. He's speaking about hedonism. The end of it is death and hell. See, it appeals to the flesh, though. Feels good. Number two, it's dangerous because it demands our attention. It demands our attention. The present-day philosophies that exist today demand that we give them our attention. Turn on Fox News, CNN, NBC, whatever, whatever state. You watch it. And hedonism, the philosophy of this world, it demands that you watch and get your attention off of God. Same thing happened to uh, Peter, Luke. Uh, Peter in Luke chapter uh, 22. You can read it when you get home. Luke 22 Beginning verse 54, when Peter denies the Lord three times, you remember that story? Why did he do that? He got distracted. His attention was drawn off of Jesus and onto the circumstances that he was about to encounter. And the Bible says on the third time, when he denied Christ the third time, Jesus looked at him and the Bible says he remembered. Number four, or excuse me, number three, it's dangerous because it poisons the truth. It poisons the truth. So in regards to the danger of this charge, and we're thinking about modern philosophies today, it's dangerous because it appeals to the flesh, Romans 1. It's dangerous because it demands our attention, Luke 22, 54. It's dangerous because it poisons the truth, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Genesis 3, 4 and 5. What's in that passage? 
I told the first service, told the second service, I'll tell you too. The devil is the Barney Fife of the Bible. He only has one bullet in his gun. Only one. Anybody know what that bullet is? Lie. He li he's a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. He's a father of lies. He's a liar. He lies. That's all he does. He lies. So when the devil comes to you, if he opens his mouth, bless God, he's a liar. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. It's dangerous. Modern philosophies are dangerous because it poisons the truth, and it is a lie. It's a lie that the devil's being that the devil is using there. So I want to ask you a question. Here's the question in closing: What modern philosophies are you worshiping today? We only took that one. We could you could put object in there. What objects are you worshiping? We use our cell phones, the social media. But what modern philosophies? Have you accepted? Maybe it's an alternative lifestyle. Maybe it's uh, political correctness. Maybe it's universalism. Students, I challenge you. You guys, listen to your pastor. I'm telling you. You guys have got a hard row to hoe. Don't fall for the trick of the devil. Don't listen to his lies. Let God's word be true. Everybody else a liar. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for the hedonistic applications of today. If God said it's wrong, it'll always be wrong. God says it's right, it'll always be right. So, well, I don't like it. It's okay. When I was a child, I didn't like broccoli and Brussels sprouts. But my mom made me eat them. But I found something. Now that I'm old, I like it. I'm older, I enjoy that. I may not like it when I'm young, but the older I've got, it's helped me to live. You may not like what the Word of God has to say in some particular areas in regards to philosophy and the way that we live in culture. But I promise you, if you'll follow it, it'll help you live a better life. Let me give you an example and I close. In Proverbs chapter 20, in verse number 7, the Bible says this. A righteous man walketh in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. How are our children blessed after us, guys? When we walk in integrity. What is integrity? Righteousness. Following the Word of God. Fearing the Lord. I think that's probably one of the, one of the biggest problems that we have in our society today. We don't fear God. We don't fear Him. We recognize Him. But do we really fear Him? Do you fear the Lord? Let me ask you this question. Are there any philosophies that you've bought into? Is there any idols in your life? Would you ask God this question in this invitation? God, are there any idols in my life that I need to flee from? Would you ask the Lord that? I promise you, He will tell you. Then it will be your responsibility to flee from them. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. I have good news for you today. The Bible also says today's the day of salvation. Today's the day you can receive Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. If you're here today and that's something you'd like to do, you'd like to receive Christ, then from your heart to God's heart, why don't you cry out to God, say something like this to Him. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I just ask you, Father, right now, and forgive me of my sins. Save my soul. Thank you for saving me.
I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you did that. Maybe you prayed to the best of your ability. Maybe you asked God to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says those that were saved are not ashamed. That is, they're not ashamed of Jesus. Dear friend, I hope that you coming to Christ today, you're not ashamed of Christ. As a matter of fact, I've got a gift I'd like to give you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to pull you out in the aisle and drag you forward. I, I'm not going to do any of that, but I would like to give it to you. So if you're here this morning, we're going to have a little invitation. I'm going to invite the church, the congregation, to come and to search their hearts about idols and their Christian liberty. Maybe there might be some Christians here today that are abusing their Christian liberty. You know that the Lord's speaking it into your heart. Maybe you're here and there's some idols in your life you need to get rid of. Pride, arrogance. Maybe something I didn't mention today. But the Holy Spirit pushed right on your heart. So you've got a problem there, sir. You've got a problem there, ma'am. That pornography has become an idol in your life. You need to flee from that. You need to leave that. Dear friend, whatever your need, there's room at the cross for you. Oh, won't you come to the altar? Dear friend, won't you repent? Or won't you come get right with the Lord? This is a place of healing, a place of grace, a place of mercy. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the Word of God. This is the message you've placed on my heart. Lord, would you speak to us through this invitation? In Jesus' name, amen.